If you'd like to turn with me to Psalm 96, we'll begin. Our theme today is the the majesty of God. And I was kind of curious if anyone has used the word majesty in the last year. (laughs) So it's an uncommon word, but it it might help us with it being an uncommon word because... Many of the words we use instead of the word majesty have become old and meaningless to us because we're people that, that increasingly want to live off of experiences and even prove our existence by the experiences that we have. And so the words we use to explain our experiences are words like epic or, yeah, awesome or spectacular, or dubular, or groovy, all these, is that that even a word, dubular, tubular, tubular, Uh, sorry, I'm not, I was never cool, Um, so the the words that that we use to explain our experiences, we, we use them to emphasize how awesome our lives are. So we come to a theme like the majesty of God. It's helpful, I think, even to keep using the word majesty because uh, in the person of who God is and the experience that he has alone and then in the experience that he gives to us and we can have only in relationship with him, it is better, more extravagant than any other relationship or experience you'll ever have. So as we begin this, I'm going to pray for us and we'll start. God, like Psalm 90 begins, you have been our home for generations. Um, God, there is no other home other than the home that's found in you. You are forever. You are God. You understand things that we used to understand. You see things that aren't even on our horizon. And I pray, God, that today you'll communicate Um, your character, your nature to us, so we can put our trust in you in greater measure. God, that we'll come to worship you and love you like we should, and it won't come across like like moralism. It won't come across like me just saying, love God for no reason, but they'll see you, we'll see you together as God Almighty and just worship you like you deserve. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you'd like to turn to Psalm 96 and stand with me, we'll read. Uh, This is just to give us uh, a bearing and feed for worship. Psalm 96. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Praise His name. Each day proclaim the good news that He saves. Publish His glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things He does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty surround Him. Strength and beauty fill His sanctuary. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory He deserves. Bring your offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in all His holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before Him. Tell all the nations, the Lord reigns. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. He will judge all peoples fairly. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout His praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest rustle with praise. Before the Lord, for He is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with His truth. Amen. You can be seated. We call that holy aerobics. So, I'm going to break down this sermon into three pieces for, for you that don't think like I do and you think in that order. I'm, I'm trying to help you also. So the three pieces of this will be the first, the reality of God's majesty. The second will be 
our rejection of God as majestic, and third, returning to the view of the majesty of God. And so the first is to give us a brief definition that, that will take a lot of thought to, to grab onto. Um, this is offered by C.S. Lewis, and I think it's a, a excellent. We're going to use a few quotes from him today, and, and there's an excellent view of the, the majesty of God. And this is how it goes. It says, God is that object to admire, which is simply to be awake, to have entered the real world, And not to appreciate him is to have lost the greatest experience and in the end to have lost all. The incomplete and crippled lives of those who are tone deaf, have never been in love, never known true friendship, never cared for a good book, never enjoyed the feel of the morning air on their cheeks, never, and he says I'm one of these, enjoyed football, (laughs) are faint images of it. So the majesty of God is to experience the most real experience possible. When I was in college, I, had a prof- I was taking one of my philosophy of religion courses, and the professor, who, who was not a believer, he went to, to a church because he, he liked the, the tradition of it, but he was not a Christian, and he, he would say that. He was telling us about arguments for the existence of God, because that's one of the sections you go through in philosophy of religion. And, and he said he was driving over the past, no call me past, one one uh, evening, and he saw the sun, he was driving with somebody else, and he, they saw the sunset, and he said it just it lit up the sky. And it was one of those clear evenings where, where everything burns red, and, and the person next to him said, oh, how could you not believe in God if you see this? And, and he said, at that point, I didn't have anything to say. I, I couldn't deny it. I, you know, I, it was, it was the most convincing thing for me when I, when I saw the absolute splendor and not just the sight of it, but the appreciation that welled up within his heart. Right? The experience of it was something, he said, that was greater than he could argue at that moment. But I, I won't use that as this, this mere argument for the existence of, of God or, um, or that that fully shows you the majesty of God. But that's part of it, right? So here when it says um, that when we experience God as the object of our desire, that is what it means to be really awake. And so that, that's part of the defense is that we as people go through our lives wanting real experiences. It's, it's very common to hear people say as their number one value for the character of another person, I appreciate people being genuine with me. Right? I like it when I, I feel like, like I can actually know them. Right? When, I, when I talk to them, they're not just playing me. Or when, when they go away, then they're going to gossip about me. I, I really want to have real relationships. And so God is one that when we go to him, we experience reality to its finest extent. And so he references all these other things, right? The feeling of the chill of morning on your cheeks or, or watching football. And for him, it was soccer. He's from England. More refined football. <laughs> um, so, so these experiences. Um, where do we see the majesty? Uh, where do we see majesty? And then how does it compare to the majesty of God? I'm going to look at this in, in two parts. The first, natural majesty. And the second, spiritual majesty. Because in our lives, these things can be hard to share in tandem. Though we as people created as flesh and blood, we're also people that were created uniquely spiritual beings. There's a reason why Jesus didn't come as a golden retriever. Right? He came as a man. Right? Because he made men in a very special way. He made them in the image of God to be spiritual. And what does that mean? Not that if you look at, we've talked about this before, not if you look at a beautiful uh, statue and then a statue of an ugly statue, whatever, I, that, that one is more godlike than the other. Right? So it's not mere form, it's not body, facial features that make us godly or not. It is the way he made us on our inside, spiritual beings to actually have the ability to communicate with God. And so, so spiritual majesty. So the first uh, natural majesty, where do we see it? First, nature. 
right? Natural majesty, nature. If you drive down the 101, see the redwood forest, see these trees that, that just make you stop. People go to look at trees down there. Right? Here that might seem silly to you, but, but they go and they take pictures with them because they're huge and they're, they're fantastic. Um, the other is this the, the unceasing gush of the Niagara Falls, right? That if you go there, it's, it's terrifying. Because, and it's, have you ever even just looked at a, a little creek that maybe goes by your house and just realized, that just keeps going? <laughs> but then you look at the Niagara Falls and you're like, wow! Like that, minute after minute, second after second, millions of gallons are just throwing themselves over the Niagara Falls. And that's amazing, that's majestic. Mountains, majesty, right, in our, in our national anthem. Um, all these things. Oh, have you thought about the coral reefs in Hawaii that, that day after day after day stand against the surges of the whole ocean to create this effect that makes the waves shoot up in the air? Right? That's amazing. That's truly majestic. How powerful the ocean is, but they just stand there. Right? And cause an effect on the ocean that just makes it, makes it shoot up into the air. So these things are, are truly amazing. Whether it's those things or even the, the, the growl of a lion right, that will paralyze its prey. All these things that, that are majestic, are great. Majestic, what that word means is really just great. <laughs> these things that are great. And when you see them, you can't deny their greatness. Psalm 93 talks about God as it says, The Lord is king, he is robed in majesty. Indeed, the Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. The world stands firm and cannot be shaken. Your throne, O Lord, stands from time immemorial. You yourself are from everlasting past. Listen to this. It says, The floods have risen up, O Lord. The floods have roared like thunder. The floods have lifted their pounding waves. But mightier than the violent raging of the sea, mightier than the, vi- mightier than the breakers on the shore, the Lord above is mightier than these. Your royal laws cannot be changed. You reign, O Lord, is holy forever and ever. So even in comparison to those, the Lord stands mighty above those. Nations... Right? Nations might be something that we look at and we're like, this is majestic. Right? This, the, the Hanging Towers of Babel, if you're familiar with history, are the pyramids of the Egyptians. Or honestly, I think one of the most majestic things I've, I've told one of the classes we teach here about this, that flushing toilets on the top of skyscrapers are the craziest things. The water pressure up there? Like, how you do that, I don't know. That is amazing. Right? So skyscrapers are amazing. And this, is, this proves also the, the distinction of human beings. I had a philosophy class once, and, and they really like saying, well, you know, really we're just animals. There's nothing different. I'm like, Do you, have you ever looked at a skyscraper before? I mean, have you ever flown in an airplane and you're like, like I'm, in a, I'm in a metal box in the air. This is cool. Right? So civilizations are amazing. If you look at the Mayans or the Aztecs, right, what they have done. And if you ever, if anyone asks you about 2012 and the calendar, just be like, well, th- their civilization passed away, right? We had to actually uncover this calendar, if anything, right? So, so civilizations themselves, no matter how wonderful they are, they pass away. Right? The fall of the Roman Empire. Are these things that are, are mighty? What would happen to a skyscraper if they had no janitors? Have you ever thought about that? Yeah, it'd be gross. Right? So, so even without the maintenance of these things, and eventually we can't maintain things enough, and they do, they, they pass away. So in comparison, the majesty of them, uh, Psalm 2 is helpful for this. It says, Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce anger. 
the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem on my holy mountain. And it goes on. But even in comparison to the mighty nations, God stands above them. He is mighty. He reigns supreme over them. Nations rise and they fall. Psalm 46, awesome. It it talks about this too. Mountains fall in the heart of the sea. It says, but he breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. And that's our God. He is mighty even above the majesty of nations that we are so impressed with. If you read the news, we are very impressed with the nations. What can NATO do? God is mightier than NATO. Great people might be another thing that we are impressed by, the majesty of great people. George Washington, who wouldn't tell a lie, or Genghis Khan, or President Obama, Napoleon, all these people who are powerful and, and have, to a certain extent, power, and that impresses us. We would say that it's majestic, right? Kings or queens, which you call them your majesty, right? Have power, but none that compare. Napoleon is quoted as saying this, I, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself founded empires, but on what did they rest the creation of our genius upon force. Jesus founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions of men will die for him. So, so Jesus stands, God stands apart from them, and he stands above them and more powerful and more lasting than any of these men that are great and have been great. Charles Lamb says, if Shakespeare was to come into the room, and that might not impress some of you, but Shakespeare was pretty impressive. Trudy will... <laughs> Testify. If he would come into the room, we shall all rise up to meet him. But if that person, Jesus Christ, was to come into it, we shall all fall down and try to kiss the hem of his garment. Right? And that was the response to those who, when they saw Jesus when he walked in the world, they, they responded by bowing before him. Those that understood, but many do not understand. And this was interesting as I was reading this quote about you know, us falling down because the fact is, Jesus is one of the most common terms used as just profanity or, or prove your own point. Right? So the name of Jesus doesn't carry with it the majesty that it once did. Okay, so that was natural majesty. Now looking at spiritual majesty, Colossians uh, 2.13-15, through 15, it says, You were dead because of your sins, because of your sinful nature. Um was not yet cut away, then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against you. He took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And then verse 20, it says, You have died with Christ, and he set you free from the spiritual powers of the world. So God has the ability and power to set you free spiritually. Right, a realm that seems so out of our control, so unseen, so mysterious. He has the power there. He's creator of the earth and the heavens. Romans eight thirty eight through 39, he says, I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither death, death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today nor worries about tomorrow, Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below. Indeed, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Right? So nothing can separate us from the the power of the love of God. Nothing. Because in the spiritual realm of majesty, he is majestic over all. But we really need to wake up to the majesty of God and learn to appreciate, learn to, I would even say, claim the majesty of God because um, the majesty of God is hard. And I have thought about this in reference to, like, how will, we wake, how will we wake up to the majesty of God? When it seems like, okay, he's majestic over the natural realm like that and majestic over the spiritual realm like that, why does it seem so uncommon to, to uh, 
give him honor that he is due? Why, why does it seem like everything else just claims my attention and makes me want to... Like, why is it if I go to a movie and, and see some hero on the screen, sometimes I, I'm more impressed than that in my senses than I am with the power of God? Right? How, how often... Why we're so won by other things in reference to their power or the way we desire power. And I thought of, like, so what will wake us up? And I thought of a silly story. So, you know, if you, if you go on the ferry, often, you know, it's hard to get through a whole ferry ride without someone coming over the intercom with the person with the gray Mercedes, please turn off their... You know, over and over. And sometimes it's multiple times, right? And so eventually you are, you're, you're upset almost. You're like, please, I'm trying to ride the ferry in peace. I paid $50 just to ride this ferry. And then, what if, what if you were riding in the car with me, and all of a sudden he was like, would the person with the 2002 Subaru Forester white please go down, someone's punched out all their windows. I'd be like, oh no! And I'd run down as fast as I could, and I'd, right, I'd be awakened all of a sudden to the sense of the urgency of the moment. And so, I'm, so in preaching about the majesty of God, to, to make us sense the need of us coming back to seeing, well, who is strong? Who can we give glory to? Who deserves to be praised? And who can we actually put our trust in? We have to deal with some, some hard questions so we'll actually remember our, the, our own difficulty in approaching the majesty of God. So I'm going to start. This is moving on to two. Our rejection of God's majesty. If you're following with me sequentially. The, I'm going to read an excerpt from a book called God is Not Great by a man named Christopher Hitchens. And, and he's going to outline for us some of the difficulties and why we have not considered God majestic or has troubled, been troubled by God being great. So this is what he writes in his book, God is Not Great. I don't recommend reading it. I must not... <laughs> I must not pretend to remember everything perfectly. He's talking about his upbringing. He went to an Anglican school growing up. But in a very short time, I'd also begin to notice other oddities about their faith. Why, if God was the creator of all things, were we supposed to praise him so incessantly for doing what came to him naturally? Right? That can, that's a question. That's a good question. This seems servile, apart from anything else. If Jesus could heal a blind person he happened to meet, then why not heal blindness? With all this continual prayer, why no results? Why did I have to keep saying in public that I was a miserable sinner? Why was, I this, why was the subject of sex considered toxic? These faltering and childish objections are, I have discovered, extremely commonplace, partly because no religion can meet them with satisfactory answers. So this is, this is his charge. And I think we have to appreciate his charge by saying, yes, I think these are very commonplace. Right? And because these questions are very commonplace, they have kept us from saying, God, you're majestic. Is that, I think that's true. Right? God, why, why, is, there, why is there blindness? We, we pray that we won't go through pain. Why do we go through pain? These are, these are very good, good questions. And so, to answer them in order, I'm actually going to take each one of the questions and we're just going to talk about it really quick. And because these are things that have kept us from seeing God is great. God, if you're great, why? Where were you when this happened, God? God, if, if, you, are, if you are naturally um, powerful, why do you command that we praise you? So we're going to start there. Why, if God was creator of all things, were we supposed to praise him incessantly for doing what came to him naturally? Why does God say, praise me? And this is, um, we are actually very helped by C.S. Lewis. He, he wrote this quote, and I think this actually helps sum it up very well. He said that every time uh, he read the Psalms, C.S. Lewis read the Psalms, he kept hearing, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. And since this was inspired work, he knew that that it was God, essentially, who was saying, praise me, praise me. Um, 
And he said it sounded like an old woman seeking compliments. This is what C.S. Lewis said. So he found it really hard. But this is what he wrote about it. And follow me here. This is, this is good stuff. It says, The most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything else, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, giving of honor. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows with praise. Unless sometimes we bring shyness into check with it. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. Readers their favorite poets. Walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favorite games. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles. Even sometimes politicians and scholars. My whole more general difficulty with the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us as regards the supremely valuable that we delight to do, even what we cannot help doing with regards to everything else we value. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the joy is not complete unless it is expressed. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The, de- the delight is incomplete unless it is expressed. So God made you. He knows you. And he knows it. So if, we joke around this all the time, but if, if Zach, our roommate, comes in, somebody's making something really good to eat, he's always like, regardless of if he's going to eat it, and he's like, wow. Mm. Oh, wow. Very exaggerated. But that's what we do. If you love something... You think about it, right? It's hard to get it out of your mind. That's natural, right? If, if you are a sports fanatic and your favorite team just scored a touchdown, you would have to be comatose not to be cheering, right? Yes. So the, the Psalms keep saying, look at God. Praise him. Oh, man, don't hold it in. So it has to be something that we're missing. If we keep saying about the Psalms, well, well, God, why do you want us to praise you? Right? For God to ask you to praise something else would be him saying, yeah, well, this, is, this might be better than me. Check it out. No, God knows there's nothing better than him. He would be lying if he told you to praise something else. So he's not a nagging old woman just being like, do I look beautiful? <laughs> Right? Young people do this too. That was his example, not mine. Forgive me. Right? So it could be just a young person who just bought the cool new shirt and they're like, check it out. Do I look good or what? Right? And we're like, Why do you, what, what, what do you want me to say? But with God, who created all these things for you to enjoy, right? He created Niagara Falls for you to be amazed at. Right? He, he created things for, for to be enjoyed. And he goes on, I was actually going to use this as a conclusion, but I'll say it anyway. He says, to fully enjoy is to fully glorify God. Right? So to enjoy is to glorify Him, not to hold back. There's this awesome book, Prison to Praise, that was written by, uh, by a man, and I, I can't remember his name right now, Merlin Carruthers, thank you. Yes, and, and he, he made this pattern in his life just to praise God. Even if something went wrong, he just praised God. And it became transforming for him. Right? As he learned that, that praise is the secret to things, not grumbling. When was the last time you got anything by grumbling? Really? Be honest with yourself. And that helped the relationship, okay? Right, so are we expected to go around just being like, well... You're kind of cool, God. And then the relationship went better? No. Okay, so, so I hope we've dealt sufficiently with the first one. And the other ones are harder, I think. If Jesus could heal a blind person he happened to meet, then why not heal blindness? Tough, tough question. And I'm, I'm going to explain some of it, and then I'm going to ask you to wait a little while till we get further down to explain more of it. Because God's words are clear when he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, By my wounds you're healed. And so God is making promises, especially through the person of Jesus Christ, to heal. So, so why not? 
And we've learned as we're going through these stories in community groups, if you come on Wednesday nights, um, that God has a much bigger perspective than we have. And this is, this is a very hard question to deal with because what's very pressing to us is going to be what dominates the, the frame of our lives. Right? So if you're struggling with blindness, if you struggle like angelica, you know, with a lot of, a lot of uh, pain because of physical ailments, that, that definitely dominates the way we think. Right? And so we, we think, God, if you would just take care of this right now, everything would be better. But we see in this scope of history, um, dealing this last week with, um, so Israel came out of Egypt, and, and their idea was, well, if you just rescue me from Egypt, then we'll be a, well, then we'll be a tight nation. We'll just be able to serve you. But they got into the desert. <laughs> what happened in the desert? And they, they went back to trying to make another idol. And then he, he was faithful with them. And then they went back to making another idol. And this is what we do in our lives. When, when, they, when Jesus came, what did they want from him? They didn't want him to do what he did. They wanted him to liberate them from their oppressors. And so, so this is, right now, I know you're probably going to find this is an insufficient answer, but follow me through as we go through this. Is that Oftentimes, what we think will liberate us will not liberate us. Right? God, if you merely do this, then I will do this. Right? God, if you merely, if you, if you gave me a sight, because, man, if you've read Fanny Crosby's hymns, you'll see, though she was a, a woman who was blind, she had a bigger perspective of God than most people. Right? So the blessing isn't always where we think we need the blessing. Um, and so as Jesus came and he walked, did he heal people? Yeah, he healed people. He'd go through a whole town without healing people. Why? That's a good question. And I think part of the answer is because he saw that real healing wouldn't merely come by him being a, a momentary doctor. Right? Is God capable of healing blindness? Yes. Why would he not? That's a good question. And so follow me down. We'll answer a little bit more of it later. Um, with all the continual prayer, why no results, um, is the next question. And I think this, I'm really glad he used the word results, because I think that's the way we view it is. And so I, I hope that if you see this, you can see a difference between the promises of God and the promises of an infomercial. Right? If you're not satisfied, mail it back. Right? That's, that's not the promises of Scripture. They come across very different. So what are the promises of infomercial? The promises of infomercial, right? If you, if you get something like a weight loss a pill or, a, or like a muscle builder, right? What if you, and I've seen people do this. They like take the muscle things and they're like, after a week they're like, I am no larger. I have no results to this. Right? And so we think merely if I buy in to this, then I will get these results. That's not the way Christianity works. If I buy into it, then this will happen. Then, then, what I, then what I perceived and what I wanted will come to me. And the promises of Scripture aren't working like that. Why? Because when God created the world and created it for, for us to give Him praise, for us to be in relationship with Him, we don't often see that, that our sickness uh, comes not through... Um, our healing doesn't come through us just getting a pill, but us actually being redeemed and being brought back into relationship with God. And that looks, relationships look very different than uh, Cupid's arrows, right? Does that make sense to you at all? So, say if you're having relationship trouble, you might go to a counselor and they might give you amazing advice. And if you go home and do what you've always done, your relationship will still suck. Okay? That's what we, so that's what we do. God is welcoming us, breaking down the, the blindness in our eyes so we can actually see Him and begin worshiping Him and being healed by that experience of appreciating God for who He is and His power in this, this long life that includes not only now and the next few years, but all of eternity. 
So, so God asked things of us, like sacrifices. In the Old Testament, it was sacrifices. And this is, C.S. Lewis went on and he said, um, God makes demands of us as a lawgiver. The Jews were told to sacrifice, and we are under obligation, even ourselves, it says, to go to church. But this was a difficulty only because I did not see that it is the process of being worshipped that God communicates his presence to men. So when we hear things like, oh God, you're beautiful, God, you're majestic, articulated in the church, he said, this is what it is. It's, it's God putting together a people that are learning to be healed by his presence. It's not that, that God in some ways is like, like the gods that need food to be placed before them so they can somehow be fed. God said in, in, in Psalm 50, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. So what God's saying is, I'm putting these things in order so you guys can come and experience me, the healing of my presence. And if you don't come, you won't experience it. You can't stay far off from God. Like we often do. We say like very far away and we're like, well, why aren't you doing these things? I mean, you're God. But God made us to be in a relationship with him and to appreciate that. So I think in the end, we find that we've treated prayer wrongly merely like a request box. And we've, we've heard about that before. Like God isn't just someone where you're like, God, I would love this, and then you provide. But God is someone who is offering him very self and to be in relationship with you. Um, okay, moving on to the, the second question, or the third question. Why did I have to keep saying in public that I was a miserable sinner? Um, then that, that's totally fun. Michelle feels the weight of this question. Amen. <laughs> so, so we can feel this in relationship to when we see the church, oftentimes we think, why are these people constantly talking about sin? Why are they constantly getting together and being like, I just, I'm, oh, I just don't like myself sometimes. And we're like, that, that seems very demoralizing. And so people looking in can be very confused. And so remember last week when we talked about coming and listening to God isn't listening to him telling us that we're bad. Right? It's not, it's not beginning to develop an idea that we're bad people. It's beginning to develop correct thinking about ourselves. And there's a difference. Because John 1.14, which says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. What in the person of Jesus Christ? No greater compliment can be paid to the human race than God becoming human. So there's a particular majesty to humanity that God made for humanity to experience. That people are pretty awesome. But that awesomeness has been diminished. And so God came to restore that awesomeness very plain language, right? So, so it's not just this, this religion of being like, human beings are just lame, but it's saying, no, human beings were made awesome. But something's happened when we've actually lost our identity. And so what God wants is to, to regain an identity, right? That reality isn't, and, and we experience this all the time, so we you know, I went running today, yesterday, and I got back, and it was just a beautiful day, and I was like, I just feel like I'm enjoying reality. You know, so sometimes then we can separate that from God and be like, then why do I have to go to church? Because this feels like such a real experience that I'm having. Just like when I go hiking, it's beautiful. And the fact is, remember what C.S. Lewis said, to fully enjoy is to fully glorify. So to have those experience isn't like, oh, now I need to like, now I need to read my Bible or something to make this a full experience. No, God made you to experience the world in beautiful ways. You are human, and you're not meant to be anything else. It's not when you become a Christian, then you become like human plus spiritual awesomeness. No. What happens is that you are essentially are recreated in his image because you've lost what you were meant to be. 
So, so Christians just go, don't go around going like, well, I just, it's lame being human. No, Christians go around saying like, man, I, because I am human, I can be in relationship with God. And that's awesome. Right? Because of this, I can enjoy the world. Because he made the world. He made you good. But the fact is that your goodness has been affected by sin. And so when we talk about sin, or hear babies crying, right? When we, when we hear this or experience this, it's not saying, like, you guys are just lame, but it's saying, no, you've, you've forgotten where goodness comes from, where joy comes from. Does that make sense at all? So if, if it ever turns into moralism and just saying human beings are lame, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says you were created human, and, and human is very special to be human. So, it's not mis- merely, uh, Christians don't merely go around speaking in public about their sin. What we should be talking about primarily is one who can save us from our sins and make us again human. So if you enjoy having human experiences like I do, like jumping off of large things into water, right? if you enjoy that, enjoy it! That's good. God made you to do that. He made Eden a place full of sensory experience. Food to be tasted. There's a difference between McDonald's and Mama's Kitchen. Right? And he made a distinction. Right? He's given you hungers for them to not just keep being hungers, but for them to be fulfilled. He said, how strange would it be there to be a world where you, can, where you can fall in love, but you can't get married and have sex? Right? No, God made things under the umbrella of way he made it to be good, to be worship. All that can be worship. And so that will move us into this next. And, and Christopher Hitchens, he saw, constantly said, why is the subjects of sex talked about as being toxic? And, and it has become that in some churches. So we'll move from, from humanity being something that can be glorious into this because even sex can be a means of worship as God made it to be. Right? It's not bad. Right? But we can create our own laws because we've, we've done so many things that are bad and try to protect ourselves and so they become our laws, rather than seeking redemption, right? That's where the healing comes from, is being redeemed, being saved, being renewed. So, um, I know many of you are probably familiar with Song of Solomon, and so you don't bless, I'm just going to read the first few verses. You might still blush. Kiss me and kiss me again, your love is sweeter than wine, how fragrant your cologne, your name is like it's spreading fragrance. No wonder all the young women love you. Take me with you. Come, let's run. The king has brought me into his bedroom. We'll end there. (laughs) Scandalous. This is the Bible. The Bible loves love, and the Bible thinks sex is great. But we've done a lot of lame things with it. Because the truth is, the Bible creates sex is a lot more special than the world treats it as. Way more special. Because it sees it as being a real uniting. Because it doesn't just see you as a physical being that has a hunger, but a spiritual being that can find unity with somebody else. So it's a real uniting act. Right? And then even on top of that, It's used, and God even made it to show the union that we can have with Christ, right? Not a a physical act, but a spiritual, true uniting of two people. That when we come to Christ and we become Christians, little, little Christ, we become one with him, no longer separate. And the, the act of physical sex was meant to, on some sensory level, help us see that we can be one and united with Christ. And if the separation happens after that, that if someone just does it for mere pleasure and not for the purpose that it was created, it will tear your soul. 
right? And that's what happens in sex if it's treated like a game. That's what happens spiritually if you don't treat your soul well. And if you keep trying to unite it with things and then tear it apart and unite it and tear it apart, there will be harm to you. Right? And you will lose your identity. So I'm glad Christopher Hitchens brought up these things because we have lost sight of the majesty of God and his intention for things like our physical bodies. Because for so long, we've treated them like they are not majestic, and they are. And they're meant not merely to be majestic in themselves, but be majestic in relationship to the majesty of God himself. Because he's, he's created you in that way. So we are meant not just to be... Uh, Partakers, that God's not meant merely to be a partaker in our lives, which we have seen it for so long. God, when I say, okay, you can come in now, you can come in, and, and somehow treating it like it's his honor to be a partaking in our lives, we should consider it an honor that we can partake in his life and be healed from the ways we have treated him, the ways we've, we've treated his plan for our lives, which is good in such a wrong way. Second Peter, uh, in Second Peter, Peter writes this. He says, I will always remind you of these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. We were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of the Lord Jesus. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So when when Peter says we saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes, another translation reads it, that we have become partakers of his glory. Right? So so Peter's writing this to remind you guys. Why? Not because the incarnation doesn't mean that it was the honor of God to partake in our lives on earth. But we got to partake in his glory, that the word would become flesh and dwell among us. And we have seen his glory, not that he saw our glory, he saw our sin, he saw our sickness, and he came to it. And so it's our glory renewed to be able to partake in his glory. That makes sense? So that's how we can go through life asking the wrong questions and getting to the wrong answers, right? Like, okay, God doesn't care about us because he came to us and then he just told us that we were sick and I didn't like it, right? That's why I don't like going to the dentist. They always make me come back. (laughs) But our glory is that when God came, he invited us. I, I am making it so you can come to heaven forever. I'm going to renew your glory because you've missed out on it. Right? Because you can't live to the fullest extent of what you were made to live for. So I'm going to heal you so you can do that. So God is majestic. Renew your sight of his glory by way of him. Okay, you can't do it alone. Number three. Returning to a view of the majesty of God. In John 4, um, and when we talked about the, the, the blindness, um, we're going to deal a little bit more with that here in John 4. Starting in verse 11, it says, But sir, the woman is replying to him. If you're not familiar with the story, Jesus and his disciples came to a town they went in to get food. He stayed out by the well. A woman came out. This was Samaria. Jews and Samaritans don't hang out. It's kind of like emo kids and kids in the country. <laughs> the Jews were the emo kids and the Samaritans were the kids in the country. <laughs> right? And so they just didn't hang out together. It's kind of scandalous if they did. So Jesus was out by the well. And a Samaritan woman came out to the well and he started talking to her. 
And he talked about water that he had. In verse 10, he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, um, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But this is her reply, verse 11. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Right? Oh, and the next question. And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Right? And that, that sounds like the questions we just went through that Christopher Hitchens talked about, right? Very good questions. They're very natural questions. They come to our hearts because of what we've struggled with. And that's okay. But make sure you know where you're seeking the answers from. Right? So she is asking him very good questions. How can you give me water if you don't even have anything to draw with? How is that possible, Jesus? Verse 13, he says, Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling stream with them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water and I will never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Go get your husband, she told her. He, he told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you are right, you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're with now. You certainly spoke the truth. So this helps us. This helps us in the way that, that Jesus was speaking on a different plane than she was even thinking on, right? And he said, okay, well, I can give you something that will satisfy you. And so what was the woman's response? Well, just give it to me, right? And that's what we are like with Jesus. Well, God, if you can heal all the blindness, just do it. But that's not the first issue. That is not the... And, and, and you will never... You will never move into healing and health in your life unless you can see beyond those first issues. Right? So she said to him, well, just give it to me. I'm ready. And you said, okay, go back and get your husband. Why? Because her whole life, she had been seeing that if she had a relationship that could just be consistent for a while, then she would be satisfied. So in her mind, probably, that living water would have looked something like just a, a relationship with a guy that, that would have been faithful. She would never even see that maybe she was part of the relationship that made it hard. Right? And so we go through this. So Jesus asked, Jesus asked this question purposefully so she can first identify in her life, oh man, that, that's me. Right? That's, well, that's who I am. Right? So she, she heard this promise of healing and she loved it. And we do that. We, we can read the Bible and we can see the majesty of God in it and we're like, okay, God, if you're that, then great, then give it to me. Right? If, if you're God, then do it. If you're majestic, if you're great, then you'll just give me what you have. And that's not how healing comes. It's not how the rivers come because because we are people that aren't meant to think badly about ourselves but correctly about ourselves. So we need something more than that. that maybe the little healings that we need. God, if you just if you just healed my blindness, then I would see you. Well, the fact is, oftentimes we need to see him first. We need to, we need to Appreciate God for what who He is and who He offers His promises, and not just constantly read our promises into His promises. So we get around. John Stott wrote this. He says, "All other men are hungry, and He is the bread of life." It's the real difference between us and Jesus that we all come hungry, He comes offering bread. Relationship with God, I wrote is the experience that we have always tried to have, and majesty is the thing we've always tried to find. <laughs> and so God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us back to reality. Why, have the, the, why by the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, even though he came into his own, but his own rejected him. 
in the story of the gospel. So where are we? So we, they saw his majesty, but his majesty was rejected. God offers his majesty, we reject his majesty. And offers again Philippians that though being God, Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, it said, but he made himself nothing to serve us. It says, therefore, then at the end, when we see Jesus with unveiled faces, it says, we will all bow and all confess that he is Lord. God, you are God. It will be a day when we do see that. Um, so what can we do now to recapture the, the majesty of God in our lives? To, to actually see, to actually become, I guess the way to put it would be to actually become human. <laughs> so, so when you go out, and, and I'll, so when you go out and you're experiencing the world and you're really enjoying it, you don't have to see that as being separate from yourself as a Christian. So if you're like, man, I just love this steak, but this isn't a holy experience. That can be a holy experience. Right? It can be worship for you to really enjoy what God has made. How, how can that happen? Well, I think how that happens is by, and this is difficult, by not running away from the things that, that do have wounded us or the wounds we might find in our lives or the things we've tried to find that have satisfied us. And really, be honest on those levels, right? Because then by his wounds, it says, then we're healed. When we can say, God, this is who I am. So the woman at the well could actually say, God, yes, I'm not going to pretend like I'm ready for your living water. <laughs> because I would just pollute it. I would. That's just what I've done my whole life. I can't do anything else. That's what I do. And so to seek the majesty of God in a way and say, oh God, this is who I am, but I've, I've heard who you are, God, and I heard that in your glory you're calling me to partake in that. To really do that, to partake in your glory. So God, please, please change me, God. Not because I'm human and you want to change me into something else, but because... God, I need to be changed so I can be human again. So I can love in a way that's truly love. So I can see you like we were always made to see you. To appreciate you like we were always meant to appreciate you. So when I go through life, I don't always have to have like spiritual experiences and then the natural experiences. But as a whole person, I can again just partake in the life that you have for me. And so we begin to, I mean, that's the cool thing, is if you see the world around you, is we're, we're not meant to see just the world, but, but really it was the song of God, right? As he spoke the world into existence. So all these things can be appreciated more as we come to appreciate that, God, you are majestic. I have not been majestic. God, heal me so I can worship again who you really are. And we know that through the person of Jesus Christ who became flesh and dwelt among us. And it can't be done apart from relationship with him. Communicating with him. Reading the Bible and discovering him again. And spending time there. I'll end with the doxology at the end of Jude. The book of Jude which says, All glory to him who alone is God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are His before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. So He's, he's God. <laughs> and just because we've lost appreciation for Him doesn't mean that can't be regained. And just because we don't have appreciation for Him now doesn't mean that He isn't worthy to be honored forever. So pray with me. I'll pray for you guys. Pray for each other as we, as we pray. God, just may we glorify you as you should be glorified. May we enjoy you as you should be enjoyed. God, I admit, even as I speak now, I'm just filled with so much excitement about the possibility that is opened through Jesus 
becoming man and dying so that we can be freed from all the chains that have kept us from really enjoying life. And that life being a life lived with God, not apart from Him, receiving things from Him, and not just trying to give things to Him. God, I pray that the words that are spoken today could just be life, just springing up to more life and more life in us as we, as we learn again to come and maybe read the Bible again with new eyes. God, I pray that this week and the weeks following will be a, a maybe even a new journey of discovery for some of us here. Discovering what it means to be human. Men and women created in the image of God. That we're not normal by any means. But we're meant to be loved by God. Not only now, but for all eternity. And to sense that. To really sense that with all our senses. Not just our heart, but our strength and our eyes and our hands and everything we are. And I pray for healing over the body too, God, over the church, that we can be healed by the blood of Jesus from the things that have caused so much scar tissue in our lives that we've stopped experiencing Him in, in intimate ways. God, there's so much more to be prayed and prayed together, but I, we pray ultimately, God, that we will see You and love You. We'll be freed to do that in our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.